soul cries out, my soul cries out for you. These bones cry out, these dry bones cry for you to live and move, cause only you can raise the dead and lift my head up. Jesus, you're the one who saves us, constantly creates us into something new. Jesus, surely you will find us, surely our Messiah will make all things new, will make all things new. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you find us, that you make all things new, that you put flesh on the dry bones and that valley of dry bones, and that as Ezekiel looks on, he sees it's the whole house of Israel. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're interested in more than uh, even Israel. Uh, you're interested in your whole world, your whole creation. And you said from the throne that you wanted us to look and see that you make all things new. So make us new, Lord God, or help us to see that you have made us new. Lord Jesus, you are the word spoken into the void to create all things. And we pray that you would speak your word this morning and that we would hear, that we would believe. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Susan Coleman uh, grew up playing with little dolls and the little dolls would date and then they would get married and have children. She had a hope chest and the hope chest contained her hopes for, for, for life, uh, things like tablecloths and napkins and candlesticks, stuff for a home. When she was 18, she wrote a letter to God saying, dear God, this is what I want in life. I just want to be married and have four children by my 34th birthday. Amazingly, her fourth child, Coleman Hyatt, was born on her 34th birthday. Now, it doesn't always happen like that. I just want you to see that her greatest desire was to give herself away to a man who would love her and to the children that their union would produce. On May 28, 1983, Susan Coleman vowed herself to me in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, in plenty and in want, as long as we both shall live. For 22 years, she had kept herself for this day. Heart, soul, spirit, body. That night, 
in a corner room on the second floor of the Christiana Hotel in Vail, we consummated our covenant in a passionate, intimate, uninhibited, free, and holy communion. She gave herself to me, body and blood. An alabaster flask filled with perfumed oil like a fragrant offering. Now imagine if in the morning she woke up, rolled over, looked on my pillow, and found this. Two crisp $100 bills. And a note that said, uh, that was great, hope this is enough. (laughs) How would she feel upon seeing that? What would I be saying upon doing that? How would she feel? And I wonder, I wonder if Jesus ever feels that way. You know, we're here to celebrate communion in the sanctuary of the covenant of grace. He's given us his body broken and his blood shed. And what do we give him? What what do you give him? Do you feel like you owe him? Do you feel like you need to you need to pay? Uh, do you ask yourself, I wonder what he requires? When you do that, I wonder how it makes him feel. Well, imagine if Susan rolled over and found this on the pillow next to her that, that, that morning. I mean, could anything be worse than that? But now, imagine if she rolled over and found this. <laughs> A flower. Fragrant. Red, a red rose. Imagine that. I'll put this back in my pocket. Well, that would be that would be different, wouldn't it? But but now uh, what's what's worth more? This or or that. You know, with this, you can go to Costco and buy 160 of those. I checked it out. I've done done the math. And if it's roses that you want, um, that's the way you can get it. I mean, but, but roses are extremely impractical, aren't they? I mean, they're basically good for nothing, but, but if that's what you want, 200 bucks will get you 160 or so. But what would she want more? What does Jesus want more? 200 bucks it feels like payment. Red rose feels like something else. Well, in our story, our Jesus story for the morning, one person thinks he can pay and tries to pay. One person does something else. One person thinks he can obey the rules and please God, and one person surrenders to the piper and starts to dance. The story is in Luke chapter seven. It immediately follows Jesus' statement about the piper who pipes and the children that won't dance. For all of September, if you've been around, you know that we've preached on these verses that immediately follow that statement about the piper in the Gospel of Matthew. But this story follows that statement in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter seven, verse 32, Jesus says, we played the flute for you, we piped for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. 
John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. I wonder what wisdom's children look like. Next verse. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. In those days, people reclined at a banquet. They would uh, lie around a low table, usually on their left elbow, eat with their right hand while their feet stuck out from the table behind them. Jesus was invited by a separate one, a Pharisee named Simon, and it was expected that first Simon would provide water for the washing of his guest's feet because the roads were, were dirty, dusty, and the feet were considered the most vile and unclean part of a person. Secondly, Simon was expected to greet a friend with a kiss on the cheek or a rabbi with a kiss on the hand. To not do that would be extremely unorthodox and rude. Thirdly, it was common to anoint and honor guests with oil. Simon does none of these things. So he throws this public banquet for Jesus costing well over 200 bucks and yet snubs Jesus in the process. What's he doing? We know what he's doing. He's trying to control Jesus. He's a religious leader using Jesus. And he's judging Jesus. Well, there's a, a woman at the banquet. Um, she's not a guest, she's an observer. It was common for someone like this Pharisee to hold a banquet in the courtyard of his home so that common people could come in and stand around the banquet and listen to the words of the great rabbis as they discuss spiritual matters. This, this woman's a sinner from the city. Simon knows who she is for some reason, he knows. Almost certainly she's a prostitute. She has an alabaster flask of perfumed oil probably hanging on a string or around her neck. Many women in that day had these uh, flasks of, of ointment, but for this woman, in her profession, this flask was indispensable, and you can imagine why. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Alabaster is like a stone. It's made of, made of earth, an earthen vessel. Alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, oh, he'd know. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. <clears throat> One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? 
I entered your house and you gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil, with ointment. Now, Jesus looks at the woman as he says this. So he's looking at the woman, talking to Simon. So I don't think he's like yelling. In fact, I think he probably feels like kind of sorry for Simon. As he admires this woman, he's delighting in her, in her tears of joy, her hair, her perfume, her, her kisses. I mean, why do you suppose she made such a fragrant offering? Probably because they had like a stewardship campaign at the synagogue that week, right? They had an ointment drive, they had a, something like, like that. Maybe she saw that it was an investment opportunity in eternity for which she'd be repaid on Judgment Day. Or maybe she read about it in a book somewhere. You know, it was like a spiritual discipline. And if she did it, well, then she would have a greater sense of peace and, and uh, prosperity and security in her, in her soul as she lived her, her, daily, her daily life. I mean, what did she want? Why did she do that? Well, Jesus says, Simon, Looking at the woman, he says, Simon, you gave me no water for my feet. She has washed them with her tears. She's, she's passionate. And you know, you can't manufacture tears like that. She, she washes what was considered to be the dirtiest part of a person. Washes his feet with her tears. And Simon, says Jesus, she wiped them with her hair. In that day, it was extremely improper for a woman to have her hair unbound. And some of you women, I know you have your hair unbound, but don't worry, it was different in that day. In that day, it was grounds for a divorce if a woman had her hair unbound in public. This woman is passionate and she's intimate. Jesus says, Simon, you gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil. Do you suppose she anointed Jesus' feet with like 10% of the oil? And then said, I hope that's enough. Is that what you require? I imagine she made no calculations. Actually, you know, the ointment may have cost more than the entire banquet, but I imagine she made no calculation. So even if it was costly, uh, the giving was uninhibited by fear. I imagine that her right hand didn't know what her left hand was doing. I imagine that it was kind of like a, a, a dance. She heard music that Simon could not hear. She heard music and couldn't help but move to the tune of the music, constrained by the music and yet entirely free. Passionate, intimate, uninhibited, and free. Simon had said, he had said, if, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman is touching him. The word translated touch uh, literally means, in other places, to light a fire. That's where the, the etymology of the word. And it was used to describe sexual relations. So this woman was quite a sight. She had obviously encountered Jesus or heard Jesus somewhere. He had touched her, like set her heart on fire. I mean, we wonder what was she thinking, but we know what Simon and his friends were thinking. They were looking at her thinking, she has no shame, no shame. 
And, and, and just think about it. She used that ointment. That ointment that had been used for sin is now a fragrant offering to Jesus. The very same kisses that had been used for evil are now a sacrifice of praise. Well, no wonder they, they I would think they would have thought that. They must have thought that. Looking down at her, they were thinking, that she has no shame. Is that what Jesus wants? A woman with no shame? You know, this appears to happen to Jesus quite often throughout the Gospels. It happens here in Luke. In John, Mary does this at Lazarus' house a week before Jesus is crucified. In Matthew and Mark, a woman breaks an alabaster flask of ointment over Jesus' head, anointing his head at the house of Simon the leper three days before his crucifixion. You remember Judas and the disciples, they get all worked up and offended about it, and Jesus says, what this woman has done will be told in all the world, wherever the gospel is preached, as if at last Jesus gets what he wants. Not a harlot. Simon sees a harlot. Jesus sees something else. He, he gets what he wants. Not, not a harlot, but a bride with no shame. You know, I think shame is just another word for pride. It's what caused us to cover ourselves with fig leaves in the garden and hide. It's why we constantly work and work and work at justifying ourselves. It's what produces the old man, the outward man, the earthen vessel that traps us, you know, traps us and keeps us from loving and being loved. St. Paul wrote this, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, like treasure in an alabaster bottle or, or, or box. In his book, The Release of the Spirit, Watchman Nee wrote this, the alabaster box must be broken. If the alabaster box is not broken, the pure spikenard, the perfumed oil, will not flow out. Strange to say, many are still treasuring the alabaster box, thinking its treasure exceeds that of the ointment. He's saying that our pride, our ego, our resume, even our soul must be broken so that our spirit can flow out and commune with God. God, who, who is spirit, deep, Christ the deep. St. Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians 6, 16. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And Paul tells us that we are the body and the very bride of our Lord Jesus the Christ. So, so maybe this is, this, is, this is exactly what Jesus wants. A bride with no shame. A bride that loves him passionately, intimately, uninhibited, and, and free. So, so do that, okay? Just go ahead, do that right now. Everyone's practical application points. This is your practical application. Do that. It's hard, isn't it? How do we just do that? You've all probably tried, haven't you? Haven't you tried? 
Oh, Jesus, I, I let down my hair. Oh, I weep on your feet. I anoint you with my fragrance. Rake hard stick, smell me. It just, just doesn't work. But we try. We come to church and we try to love them like that, but, but we're just not feeling it sometimes, right? How do we love like that? Well, Jesus says, look, she, she washed my feet with her tears and her hair. She's still kissing me. She, she's anointed me with her perfume. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. The ESV says are forgiven, but the literal uh, translation is have been forgiven. It's a present passive indicative. In other words, it's finished. And Jesus must have told her before somewhere, somehow she knew, your sins are forgiven. Her sins have been forgiven, says Jesus, for she loved much, or in RSV, hence she loved much, or that's why she loved much, or so she loved much, or we know this because she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, scholars debate the grammar in that verse 47, but from the story, the context, and what Jesus clearly says when he says the one forgiven little loves little, we can see that the one forgiven much does what? Class. Loves much. The one forgiven much loves much, or at least if, if you do love much, it is because you have been forgiven much and you believe it. In other words, faith in grace means Loving much. Love. All the commandments are wrapped up in this one word, love. Love is, what, love is what God wants. Sin is what God does not want. He wants love, and to, to, to love much, you must be forgiven much, and to be forgiven much, well, don't you have to sin much? Yeah, and that's why today I'm introducing the all-new fall of 2014 Sanctuary Sin Much program. All right, so this is how it works. Sanctuary Sin Much program. Step one, comprehensive Sin Much testing to find your sin gifts. We'll put you through a program, test and see where you're particularly gifted at sin. Step two, assignment to one of our five sin communities. Prostitution, substance abuse, racketeering, extortion, and disco dancing, okay? Once you learn to sin much, then you'll be forgiven much, and you will love much. <laughs> All right, okay, you can turn off the, the music, Lana. <laughs> Is that what God wants? I mean, do you, do you, do you need help with, with sinning? Did Simon need help? Was sinning? Was Jesus saying that Simon needed to sin more so he could be forgiven more and then love more? I don't think so. I'm sorry if that's what you were hoping for, but I don't think that's what he was saying. Because in the story, if anyone sinned much, well, the text seemed to indicate it's, it was Simon. 
I mean, he didn't provide water for Jesus' feet. He didn't kiss Jesus. He didn't anoint Jesus. In fact, he's using Jesus. He's trying to control Jesus, even judging Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is love in the flesh. Simon is using love to not love. In other words, he's using love to sin. He's using love to not love. Simon is, is trying to use love to create his own life rather than sacrificing his own life to love. Simon is trying to use love, control love, and judge love. Simon is treating Jesus like a harlot. Maybe that's why Jesus was, you know, just so sympathetic to harlots. And maybe that's why it was harlots that seemed to understand Jesus first. And so easily, they both knew the pain of $200 left on the pillow. They both knew the pain inflicted by folks who think they can pay for love. And God is love. Do you think you can pay for love? I mean, do you think you can, like, come to church and get some knowledge of the good so that then you can go do the good to purchase uh, what you consider to be more good or better than the good with that previous good, thereby making yourself good? Would you take the good and use the good to make yourself good? Did you know that God alone is good? Would you take God and use God to make yourself God? You see, that's what human religion does. That's what Israel was doing. That's what Simon the Pharisee was doing. In the words of the prophet, they played the whore. They tried to buy God and couldn't even see God. They took the good, but they didn't know what the good was or who the good was. So when Jesus stands before Pilate on the day that he's nailed to the tree, he says to Pilate, the one who delivered, pardidomi, delivered me to you has the greater sin. Well, check this out. It wasn't prostitutes that delivered Jesus to Pilate, was it? It was pastors and priests in specific Pharisees, like Simon. Simon is far more guilty of buying and selling covenant love than that woman lying at Jesus' feet. And far more guilty than Simon is another Pharisee that you know of as, as St. Paul, but before he met Jesus, usually referred to as, as Saul. Scripture calls him the foremost of all sinners and he wrote this, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered, parodidomai, same word that Jesus used before Pilate, that which I also delivered to you, that on the night Jesus was delivered, also translated betrayed, parodidomai, he took bread and broke it. I think Paul is saying that whenever we come to communion, we confess, it was me that delivered him up. Which means I have the greater sin. We have the greater sin. We say it all the time, he died for my sins, right? That's what it is to be a Christian. He died for my sins. So we don't need to become greater sinners. We've already sinned much. And he already bore the sins of the whole world. So if we don't love much, we must not believe much that we have already been forgiven much. 
We've already been forgiven the death of Jesus. And even the way we continue to play the harlot with Jesus, for every time you do a good deed or make an offering, think that you can pay for God's love, isn't that exactly what you were doing? God's love for you is Jesus. Well, the one forgiven much loves much. So if Simon ever sees what he's done and how much God has forgiven him, well, then Simon would like really, 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 really love, wouldn't he? But why doesn't he see it now or at that time? And how will he ever come to see it? And exactly how much, how much are you Forgiven. I mean, is it just your sins that you are forgiven? In the middle of our story, Jesus tells Simon a story. Listen to this closely. He said, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, that's about $100,000, and the other 50 denarii, that's about $10,000. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt. Now, if God is the moneylender, all right, and you are the debtor, how much can you pay? Well, whether you're rich or poor, knowledgeable or ignorant, strong-willed, weak-willed, how, how much can you, well, nothing, right? For with what could you pay that had not first been given to you by God? You're not the creator. You didn't create what you think you own. You didn't create you that thinks you own what you think you own. You didn't create your will that thinks it chooses to give away what you think you own. In fact, the moment you think you can pay, you implicate yourself as a thief. For you can only pay the money lender with the money that you already owe. Well, when the moneylender sees that they cannot pay, he forgives the debt. When? The moneylender. Was God ever under any illusions that you could pay him back? When he sees that they cannot pay, he forgives the debt. So you were forgiven from the very start. But in our story, it's like the debtors each owe until they each know that they cannot pay and have been forgiven. The word translated forgiven is the Greek verb charizomai, based on charis, from which we get the word eucharist. Charis means grace. Charizomai means to grace, like a, like a verb, to grace someone. Do you understand? You were created by grace. You're not just given 50 denarii or 500 denarii. You're forgiven everything. In Romans 8.32, St. Paul writes this, God delivered up his own son, own son for, for us all. Will he not also give us charizomai? It's the same word that, it's that same word Jesus used. Will he not also graciously give us, that is forgive us, all things with him? It's like he's given us Jesus so that we can see he's given us all things. First Corinthians 3, 21, Paul writes, all things are yours. So how much are you forgiven? All things, all things you're forgiven, including Jesus. You are forgiven much. But you probably don't believe that you're forgiven much, for if you did, you'd love much. Like that woman 
lying at Jesus' feet, weeping in joy. You see, this is really just crazy to think about, but I want you to think for a minute with me. It's like we've been given everything except the knowledge that we've been giving everything. And that's why we try to buy things. And that's why we try to so tightly hang on to things. Things like our own lives kept tightly in something like an alabaster flask. Now think about this, the garden. Adam and Eve are given everything except for one thing, the knowledge of evil and the good. And, and what is the good? Well, isn't the good the one who freely gives them everything? God is good. And God is love. And God is grace. So, so mankind is given all things by grace, but has no what? Faith in grace. Until he sees God in flesh, hanging on a tree in a garden at the end of the sixth day, crying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's bleeding. And what's he bleeding? Grace. Like a fragrant offering. So you remember, we took the life of love on a tree called the cross. That's sin and evil. But love gave his life on that tree called the cross, and that's good, that's grace. It's at that tree that we not only learn about evil, it's at that tree that we come to know the good or be known by the good. It's at that tree that God gives us life. He gives us his faith, faith in grace, his spirit crying out, Abba, Father. And so you see, Adam and Eve were created by grace, but didn't know they were created by grace. They did not have faith in grace. You are created by grace, and all is yours by grace, but you don't have faith in grace until God creates it with his word, hanging on a tree like fruit, saying, this is my body broken. This is my blood shed. Eat it. Drink it. I am Hesed. I am love. I am burning hot grace. It's there we learn that we are forgiven much. And forgiven much, we love much. In the image of God, we die with him and rise with him and enter his rest, seventh day rest. It's there that we are finished. It is finished. So salvation is faith in grace. Salvation is being at peace I mean, it's really remarkably simple. Salvation is being at peace with the reality of your own creation. Salvation is knowing that you cannot pay, and yet all you want to do is love, even as you have been loved. Salvation is faith that you have been forgiven much, and so you love much. Salvation is faith in grace and faith by grace. Well, anyway, I, I should tell you, we really don't have a fall 2014 sanctuary sin much program okay I was lying I'm sorry about that but I was I was lying however I believe that God has 
a love much program. And, and I don't know exactly how to describe it, so this is the, kind of the best I could do with, with little sleep. God's love much program. Step one, create Adam, mankind with grace. Step two, consign them to disobedience by letting them take grace, you know, like from a tree or something. Step three, increase the trespass by showing them the meaning of grace, you know, like with the law, the knowledge of good and evil. Step four, give them grace where they have taken grace, like on that tree, the tree of life where Jesus gave his life. Give them grace where they have taken grace, causing them to see that they are forgiven much, causing them to have faith in grace much, causing them to love much in the image of love much. That is the image of God. Now, don't worry if you don't understand all of that. I don't understand all of that. No moral person completely understands all of that. Just trust this word that I'm about to speak. And this is the word. Jesus. It's God's word. And it means God is salvation. And so you are forgiven much. And don't worry, I mean, he, it's not like he's about creating guilt, he's about creating gratitude. And don't worry, it's all according to plan, for you have been predestined to love much in the image of God from the very beginning. You, you, you have not only been forgiven some things, you see, because if you were forgiven some things, that would mean that you had earned other things. But you can't earn anything. You can't buy anything. You are forgiven all things. All things. You are forgiven your bad deeds. Aphiomi is the other word that Jesus uses to translate forgive. Um, it means allow. You've been allowed your bad deeds, your sin. For where, why? Well, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Sin is like a void in you. Predestined to be filled with grace. Sin is not love in you, predestined to be filled with love, and God is love. You are forgiven your bad deeds, ephemi, allowed, and your good deeds, charizomai. Uh, every truly good deed, you see, is a gracious gift from God. So that woman's gift to Jesus was God's gift to her. She lost herself and found herself dancing to the tune of the piper. She found herself alive. She herself was the rose. Hearts unfold like flowers before the opening to the sun above. The good deeds in her were the life of Christ in her. The word of God in her implanted in her like a seed and then growing and blossoming like a flower in the light of the sun. You are forgiven your bad deeds. You are forgiven your good deeds, and especially the deeds you think are good but are the very root of all evil, you are forgiven the $200 left on the pillow. The law came in to increase the trespass, and you're forgiven that. You know, just the fact that you think of something as a good deed means that it's probably a bad deed, right? Because if you have to make yourself do the good, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that you don't love the good. You're using your carnal knowledge of the good to try and make good with which to purchase something else that you judge even better than the good. 
If you have to make yourself do the good, you don't love the good, you're using the good, and God is the good, and Jesus is God in the flesh. If I put it in like theological lingo, if you try to justify yourself with your knowledge of the good, you're just like Simon, and you're treating God like a whore. I mean, sorry to be blunt, but you need to see that you have sinned much. And I have sinned much. But don't despair. For if you know that you've sinned much, well, you can also know something else. And that is that you are forgiven much. And then you will love much. And nothing is happier than love. God is love. You know, St. Paul, at least according to scripture, and we, we think it's authoritative, that St. Paul actually sinned more than, than you. He sinned more than me, he sinned even more than Simon. Saul of Tarsus was the world's greatest Pharisee, and I'm quoting scripture now, the chief of sinners. But listen to what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That means he was a terrorist upon the church. I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It all had a purpose. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, because Paul was forgiven much, Paul, who was worse than Simon, because he was forgiven much, he loved much. So if you are feeling uh, particularly aware of your sin today, I think you're being issued an invitation. And that is to know that you are forgiven much. And you'll know that you know that you're forgiven much because you will forgive much. You will love much. And, and so if you feel particularly sinful today, have hope but surrender that sin and, and believe. If you feel particularly sinful, like your sin is different, if you feel particularly sinful today, please understand you are particularly forgiven for God is revealing a particular love in you. And I think that love is the true you emerging in the place of the old you and that you cannot sin. Well, anyway, the Lord of love appeared to Paul, of all people, on the road to Damascus and broke his alabaster flask. In other words, the grace of God shattered his ego, his bad deeds, his good deeds. He saw it was all forgiven, and so he had no shame. He had no pride. He was free to love, free to dance, passionate, intimate, uninhibited, and free like a Pharisee with no shame. It was an event, but also a process. But his spirit became one with God's spirit and gave birth to life. The flask broke, the perfume spilled out, and the old harlot became the bride and gave birth to you. <laughs> the children of God, the church of Jesus the Christ. Forgiven much, he loved much. And so I deliver to you what was also delivered to me, that on the night Jesus was delivered, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body. Scripture says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
He said, this is my body, this, this is my earthen vessel, this is my alabaster flask broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood uh, poured out for you, the forgiveness of sins poured out for you. In the morning, you know, we all broke the alabaster flask and the love of God spilled out. The Spirit of God spilled out. And so, Bride of Christ, believe the gospel. You have been forgiven much. can't buy this. You can't earn this. You can't deserve this. And please don't simply try to apply this like it was a principle in a workbook or something. Jesus said, eat this. Drink this. It will change you. Eat this. You, my dear, are forgiven much. From the foundation of the world, you have been loved much. Amen? Let's worship. So this is who you are, not just simply what you give. In the morning when Susan rolled over and looked at the pillow, what she wanted to see was me. <laughs> I know that's shocking, but that's what she wanted to see. She wanted to see me with an open heart. And yet if you've been married a while, you know that that didn't happen that morning. <laughs> it takes a lifetime. And it takes a lot of pain and a lot of struggles. And if you've been through a marriage and the marriage has fallen apart, you need to understand that you're in a marriage right now that will not fall apart. And the son of love is opening your heart every moment, every day. He's showing you something. He's teaching you something. You see, you are a creation of love. Love is your creator. I know that you are, else you wouldn't, you wouldn't be here. God created you and he is creating you. I don't think he created evil. I think evil is an absence. But he also created things like dogs and cats and chickens. But, but I think you're different than them. And that's because God is creating something else in you that I, I don't know if he creates it in them. I, I don't mean to judge chickens, okay? But, <laughs> but, but he's, you, he, you are a creation of love and he wants you to know it. But you don't yet know it. So what is he creating in you? He's creating faith in his grace so you would forever enjoy his love, love as he loves, and enter the joy of the Lord your God. So believe the gospel. You see, it really is good news.
And whenever you feel that sin weighting you down, you feel shame. And you know, people say, I struggle with that all the time. I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm giving you an invitation. Come to me, uh, confess it to me. Let me shatter that alabaster flask and show you how much I love you. In fact, this morning, if you wanna pray with someone about something like that, um, we have members of the prayer team down front, Deb down here, Nick over here. They'd love to pray with you and help you believe you have been forgiven much. In Jesus' name, amen.